Welcome to Lawyers Are Assholes. I'm your host, Brett Adams, a lawyer, I should say a recovering lawyer, who found a platform to address a broken legal system. This is where we call out incompetent and unscrupulous lawyers, prosecutors, and judges. Anyone that touches the legal system, we're coming after you if you're an asshole. Our guest today is Zach Smith. If you want to talk about somebody abused by the domestic court system, Zach is your poster child. Zach is famous for being infamous. If you're in the sports world, you know Zach for being the scapegoat for Ohio State University football coach Urban Meyer. Coach Meyer was accused of protecting Zach as a spousal abuser while Zach coached at Ohio State. You're going to hear Zach's story today, the absolute insanity of a domestic court system run amok. You're going to hear about how Zach took his firing and the loss of a $400,000 annual salary and turned it into a successful rebranding with his national podcast, Minister Sports. Welcome, welcome, Zach Smith. Lawyers are assholes. Really appreciate you coming down in this weather to come down to this studio downtown. Really appreciate it, especially as I found out today, it's your birthday. It so, is. Well, so, you see, you, happy birthday. Problem. Thank you. But the problem is, you asked me, it was 58 degrees outside. I was standing on my back patio. I'm like, yeah, I'll take a trip down to Columbus. <laughs> and then I wake up this morning, it's 26 and snow. I was like, damn, why'd I do that? <laughs> yeah, the wind's out there now. And, oh, man. And, uh, it was brutal. But I, I really appreciate it. And I appreciated watching your your three kids today sing you happy birthday. I thought that was pretty awesome. It was cool. It was their idea. You know, it was, I do the morning, this morning show every morning and you know, it's my birthday, but I'm not going to take the day off. So, and they had the day off of school and they were like, can we sit in there? Well, they did. Like, yeah, sure. They did a great job. They did a great job. They must be watching you, watching your podcast to see what's going on. But anyway, I wanted to talk about your experience with, you know, our podcast about uh, the flaws in the legal system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously you had a rough go of it, but give the listeners a little bit of background on, on uh, you know, of course, any sports fan in the in the country knows who you are, yeah. but give everyone a background on, on where you came from and, and how you got here and, and what happened to cause that domestic situation to, to bubble up. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, uh, I was born and raised in Columbus, uh, played football, obviously, and then walked on at Bowling Green when Urban Meyer was the head football coach. Uh, my grandfather... Uh, was Earl Bruce, who was the head coach at Ohio State, and was Urban's mentor. And I told him my senior year in high school, like I want to, I want to become a college college football coach. Like I want to be like you. That's that's the path I want to take. And so he said, "All right, well, there's only one person that I think you need to go kind of study under, play for. It's, it's Urban Meyer. I wasn't a great player. I was probably good enough to play at Bowling Green. That was by the ceiling for sure. I assumed he would he would think I should go to Ohio State. Jim Tressel had just been hired, but but he was like, no, you need to go. You need to go." play for urban that's the guy you need to go play for so i did and then urban ended up hiring me at florida uh as an as an intern initially and um i was there for five years went to marshall under doc holiday who worked for urban then went to temple with steve adazio then came to ohio state along that journey um i met a girl from worthington ohio got married at oh i don't know what 24 i think i was and uh maybe 20 yeah 24 and so she moved to Gainesville with me. We went to Temple. We went to Mar- Huntington, West Virginia, Philadelphia, and then Columbus. And it, it was uh, it was just you know without going into too many details, it was just a, a by by the time we got to Ohio State, a lot of things happened. Right? She had we had had two kids. Both times she got pregnant, I left because I got a job at, at Marshall when she was eight months pregnant. So I flew to Marshall, started work, and she had to move us from uh, Gainesville to Huntington by herself, eight months pregnant. And then it happened again at Temple. We She got pregnant with my daughter, and I flew to Columbus, took the job at Ohio State, and she had to pack up in Philly and move us there. And then, you know, a lot of things happen. You come to Ohio State, you're a coach. There's a lot more celebrity, a lot more attention than when you're, you know, a GA or working at Marshall. 
And on top of that, she had post-traumatic, or well, not post-traumatic, I guess, what is it, postpartum depression. I, I have post-traumatic stress. <laughs> she, um, she had postpartum uh, depression. A lot of things went on. And it just became a very, very toxic relationship. Mm-hmm. And I say that because now, if you Google me, it, it is all about domestic violence, domestic abuser, which which none of it is true. And, and if anyone does any research into anyone in our lives, they would know that there's no one that comes out and says that I ever hit her ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to talk about that in a little bit in minute detail because it, it it's just affected not only the way that you're perceived, but how some lawyers or judges uh, looked at you in oh, your yeah. domestic case. But I'm going to go back for a second. I mean, I being in the coaching industry and representing a lot of coaches, I mean, it's, it's a tough profession to have a, a healthy relationship is anyway. Oh, yeah. Is oh, it? yeah. I mean, it's really hard. And, and the stuff that I've, I talk about on my show is just the reality of college football. I mean, the affairs are run rampant, and I had I had a, a couple affairs. So yeah. I'm I'm not. I think that's the biggest thing I try to portray. Like, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not, right. and I'm not even saying I was a great husband or, or a really phenomenal person. I just didn't do the things that people said. But yeah, it's it's a tough industry just because you work so much. I mean, mm-hmm. in season you're working 140 hours. Right. There's not even time to see your kids, see like spend any time with your wife. It's just. It's a lot. And on top of that, when you do go home, you're expected to be on the phone recruiting, calling right. recruits. So there's, it's it's a really it's a tough life. And and I've seen some really great marriages. I have some really great husbands and great strong relationships. But it's very rare. Right, right. And the reality is, affairs are about opportunity. Right, <laughs> right. And and in coach at Ohio State, you may not have had this same thing at at Marshall, um, but at Ohio State, an assistant coach is a celebrity. You're oh, you're yeah. getting you're getting invited to golf tournaments. You're Getting the free meals, you're you're getting the the drinks at the bars. You're, I mean, you're you're somebody here, big time. And the pressure on that, and you've been, I, I've heard you on the podcast, your podcast, Minister Sports, talking about how you know what happened. You were brutally honest on you're in a bad marriage, and you stepped out, and that led to what happened with the divorce. Yeah, I did, right? and and, so, and, it, and it created a lot of uh, a lot of vengeful feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Like especially initially, it was like, all right, we're splitting up. She, she can't be with me because I was, I, you know, I was being unfaithful. I really didn't want to be with her, and we should have got divorced long before. I just, I just knew how that went, right? Coaches that I've been around that are divorced with children, you never see your kids because the reality of coaching is, right? You, you don't stay in one spot for very long. You don't, and and I stayed at Ohio State for f- five or six seasons, and that's like I mean, that's an eternity in college football. So, you, you know, you have to, and I turned down a job from Nick Saban at Alabama the year before I got fired because of my kids. Because I knew if I moved to Alabama, I would see them maybe two weeks a year. Right. And I just couldn't do that. It wasn't important enough to me. My kids were more important. Right. And so I, that's, that's, why we, I, that's why we didn't file for divorce before that. She eventually, you know, was to the point where, where she wasn't going to be with an unfaithful person. So we, we, we got divorced. And then, so she initially filed. She did the initial oh, filing. Oh, yeah, she filed for divorce. So when did it become public? When did How did that get out there that the whole world was looking at this and, and the internet trolls and trash? and Well, that, so, so she tried. It was probably about a year after I got divorced where she couldn't stand it, couldn't stand that I was – you know, still coaching at Ohio State. She felt like I was such a bad guy, I'd get fired and that, you know, I would, you know, be homeless. I don't know what she mm-hmm. thought. And because that didn't happen, because my career started, you know, kind of taking off, about a year later, she got really vengeful, like really, really jealous of the fact that I was making all this money, um, you know, living a great life, single, like, You've said it public. You're making 400 bills. Yeah, as I mean, assistant football coach. Right. And and what I what I never understood was she's making 75 a year off of it. Like I'm paying her $75,000 a year. That's a salary. Like right. I don't know why she's upset and jealous that I that that's happening. 
But she was. And so she she several times told me, like, I'm going to ruin you. I'm going to ruin Urban Meyer because she had this, like, a lot of hate and a lot of spite for the fact that he didn't fire me because she felt like, you know, cheating on her was, you know, I don't know, deserve the death penalty. <laughs> I mean, it, and so it, it, it created that that environment. And she tried. I mean, she tried like crazy. She had she had a guy. So she, she, did she take it to the press originally? Is she the one that, that well, she that, tried for a long time and no yeah. one would really bite on it because yeah. I think they'd heard kind of two sides of the story. They heard right. uh, rumors about her and. Right. um so she, it, one instance, I know a guy she was dating reached out to Eleven Warriors and and all these different reporters, and eventually one girl who I was, I was in a romantic relationship at the time who was in the media, um, and she he he brought her all the, like look Zach did all this stuff, and the girl called me and was like, do you know that your ex wife has this little boyfriend she, like trying to blast you to all this media entities? And I was like, no, but I don't really care right. because I know I know it's real, and I'm actually like I'm, I have good relationships with the media, like the right. lo- I'm talking local media, like Columbus media. Right. I was like, they're not going to publish something that isn't true. Well, right. kind of fast forward a while, Tom Herman gets involved and. He's more involved than than people even realize. I mean, he's feeding her tens of thousands of dollars to pay for her legal fees to try to bring me down in court and get the kids for me, and and then he hand delivers. What was his her. motivation for that? What? Uh, so it's really it's twofold, right? One is his his wife couldn't stand me, and she couldn't stand me because when I was having affairs, Tom was having affairs, right? right. And Tom right. kind of showed me the ropes. So his ropes. wife was probably protecting your ex wife. I mean, uh, was she was good. She was friends there? with my ex wife, but it was a lot of projection, right? She mm-hmm. knew her husband was a complete scumbag and was sleeping with boosters' wives and doing all this stuff. And she was like projecting his fate on me because she didn't want to lose the millions of dollars of being the head coach's wife at Houston or Texas, right? right? So it was like this projection onto me, like, well, if I can ruin him, and she, and she believed the story that I beat up Courtney, right? right? And 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 that hit a, hit Tom close to home because his dad was a an alcoholic and an abusive guy and so he he turned on me real quick never even talked to me never asked me if it was true just flipped on me and you know I, I was fine with not being friends with him but then when I found out he was funneling money and hand delivered Brett McMurphy to Courtney um, it was that that was kind of it for me um, that's when that's when he I realized that this was growing steam because of Tom Herman funneling money and getting and Brett McMurphy just been fired from ESPN he was kind of going into irrelevancy and so he and wanted you were his you were his uh I was career his, saving story well, to, right? to 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 cut the head off of Urban Meyer's career right? right I was just the sacrificial lamb he didn't care about me right. he felt like there was a huge story that he could he could be the guy that brings down Urban and his career would come back to relevancy and I was just kind of the you know the the guy that got a drive-by shooting, and I was the innocent bystander. Not right. innocent, but you you know what I mean. Right. I wasn't the target, and I, I got taken out. Right. But at the time, uh, Coach Meyer defended you to some extent. Yeah, I right? mean, when it first when she first made allegations, because that, he knew her. I mean, yeah, he, he knew he was he taking your side. Yeah, right. and he he knew the situation. Everyone in the whole athletic department knew the situation, knew me, knew her. And when she first came out with domestic violence accusations, like she went to the, the police and tried to get charges filed and they started investigating it. So obviously the minute that happens, they call the university and alert them. I had meetings with Urban, meeting with Ohio State's attorney, meeting with meetings with Gene Smith and, and very transparent through it all. And it was always the same thing. Like, listen, if they come back and say you did this or ch- or charge you. Right. Either way, you're fired. And I was like, and I told both of them, I was like, which is still unfair. <laughs> yeah. And, and, until until there's a, a court case, right? That yeah, guilt, guilty before proven innocent, I guess is what it is. But which I, I understood, right? Then becomes a PR nightmare. Well, cu- guess what happens? 
They investigate it. There's no evidence. They never. They can't say nothing that it didn't happen because it could have. They just don't have evidence, right? right? But they came out and said there's no evidence that this ever occurred, so they didn't charge me. And so Ohio State said, all right, well, he didn't get charged. We don't think it happened. We don't know if it happened. We can't fire the guy just because this one woman said this happened, and there's no proof and no one agrees. Right. And so they, they didn't. They, I mean, they, we got through it, and then we're talking a year and a half later. This happens, and I could really, I mean, it depends on how much time you want to spend. I could, I could tell you exactly how and why it happened when she got engaged and her hus- her new soon-to-be husband was really jealous of the fact that I was a coach at Ohio State and had a real problem with me coming around, and that's that's when it really took off to new to new heights. Right. Let's drill down to, uh, uh, Zach, the legal nightmare that you went through, and your ex has had five attorneys at this mm-hmm. point, and it, when I was practicing, if you were the second attorney and your client came in, you were a little... Leary, what what happened with five lawyers? Tell us about that. I mean, what? I mean, it's 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 been one thing after another. So so here's what happened. I got fired, right? She was obviously getting a nice check from Ohio State because or from yeah directly from Ohio State and child support and spousal support. So I got fired. That check goes away. Like I don't have income coming in anymore. And she went on the media tour to get me fired. Let's not forget. But when that happened, it, it was just she didn't know what what to do, and she started trying to find ways to to get me to pay money. And the biggest thing was child support needs changed by the court, right? Just because I get fired doesn't mean it goes away. So the minute I got fired, my attorney Dennis, his name's Dennis Horvath, he's out, outstanding. He went and filed a a motion to change support, right? And, De- and Dennis has been your same lawyer from day oh, it's one. From day right? one, I right. actually tried to get divorced without an attorney. That was right. my my plan initially with her. Yeah, we're going to talk about that yeah, and because that, we shouldn't have lawyers involved no, in the domestic no, process shouldn't. initially ever. But no. but go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt so, you. No, you're good. Um, so essentially, she stopped getting that. Dennis filed to change support. We have a court date in six months. We're going to go and you know per per my attorney per the guardian ad litem which we had, you know. The moral story was you don't have that income anymore. You can't pay her that money. They're going to completely change child support, spouse, and spouse support was going to be done anyways that December. And so it was going to go down to, I don't even know what, maybe zero, maybe a normal amount, like a small amount, because I don't have an income at this point. Well, what happens is she doesn't want that, right? She wants me to owe her money. She wants that narrative. And she's done it right now. She she sends these, these documents that the Delaware County family services send her on how much I owe her. She sends it out to these internet trolls so they can blast it all over Twitter and all over message boards like Zach Smith owes child support. It's like, no, I don't. We just haven't went back to court yet. And right. w- and she would always find a reason to postpone that. And one of them, well, three or four times has been firing. She fires her attorney, gets a new one. And it's like, well, I'm new. I have new counsel. We need more time to learn about this case. And so they postpone it six months. That's that was in July of uh, August, August 1st of 2018 was when we first filed the motion. And it is what, February 18th, 2022. We still have not stood in a courtroom. So that motion for the child support's been sub- it just keeps, pending it just keeps for four racking, years? It just keeps racking up. Yeah. I owe her like 180 grand, they, right. the paper says. Right. And it's like, well, no, I don't. Like, I, I haven't had that income. Right. That's not true, but it's a narrative. Wow. Wow. How did the five lawyers treat you in this whole process? Um, I mean, so I've only interacted with the first two since then like i said we haven't even been in a courtroom Mm -hmm. to be there's been no mediations or anything like that um so you know some have been decent what i think the most mind-blowing thing about this domestic law stuff right is most of the charges you incur and most of the decisions and things that happen they get made between the two lawyers like through emails well, several of her attorneys just don't respond. They just ghost emails. I mean, on legitimate things. Like, she has over 30 contempts of court she's going to have to face when we do go to court. 
And every single one, it's like my attorney reaches out and says, hey, Courtney didn't bring the kids on your on their son's birthday, which in the plan it says Zach gets to take him to dinner on their birthday. Right. And it's just like no response. Right. And it's like, wait a minute. Like this is a court document, right? Don't you have to follow that? And then they don't respond. It's just the the integrity of attorneys. I mean, I shouldn't they respond like, well, she won't re- get back to me or like but they it's it's wild. Well, ethically, ethically they're supposed to, but we have such a a poor disciplinary system in in, right. in Ohio to get these attorneys to to respond. It's it's just ridiculous. But my question to you and and I ask a lot of people in this situation is do you think that you could have a resolution, you could have had a resolution four years ago if lawyers were not involved? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what they do, honestly. Right. I don't. Um, I, I'm fully capable to go into in, in a courtroom in front of a judge and explain anything he needs explained, show him any documents he needs, and I'm sure my ex-wife could do the same, and ultimately, that judge is going to make a decision anyways, Right. right? So the attorneys, I don't, I don't know the, re- I don't know the point of it. I mean, I guess you do get some good, some decent advice on some things that you should do or, or documents to put together, but I don't know. Common sense is, it's most of it's common sense. Well, it is, and, and lawyers are not necessarily, I mean, ever truly trained in uh, family counseling, right? So unfortunately, Zach, some some of uh, the the domestic flowed over into criminal court. Yeah, I mean, that's what happened to me. And what I didn't know was, you know, after my my criminal stuff happened, I I Googled about it and read about it. And apparently it's like a blueprint for ex-wives. It literally is. What she did and the way she did it, it it is on the internet. Like, here's what you do if you want custody of your kids. And she executed it flawlessly. I didn't know about it or I would have, you know, defended myself, I guess. But what happened was, is she got a, a, a protection order, right? A CPO, a temporary protection order against me after I got fired. Based on absolute, you know, based on nothing. I mean, there was no threats. There was no reason. Um, and she got it, and it was temporary. So they said, all right, well, when he get, when he comes into court, he can fight it, right? Well, on those temporary CPOs, and I want the listeners to understand the process, you didn't defend yourself. No. She, just, she just, she went to a judge and said, he did this, he's right. stalking me, he's whatever he's doing, he's sending me bad text messages, he's yeah. calling me a bitch. And she did that on her own. Yeah, okay? she went there and told them her, like, in her mind or whatever, in her reality, what I was okay. doing. Which is incredible that we have that in our system. I mean, it's male or female. Absurd. Because you could, you could actually go make the same argument against against her, but without any cross-examination or any evaluation or any ability for, any for that judge, any evidence or that judge to judge credibility. Because a lot of this is credibility. Yeah. I mean, she, yep. you know, you could be nuts, she could be nuts, and, and you, but you want a judge to be able to uh, determine who's telling the truth or not right. to and the so, best of their ability. So you didn't have that. So no. you so now you got a CPO against you. So so we have a C, it's temporary, right? So I go to I hire Brad Koffel. He's a defense attorney. Yeah. Um, he charges a flat fee, right? Five thousand dollars up front, and he'll he'll represent you through for the case, right? But the, what I didn't realize was then if that trace if that case goes to trial, you have to pay another five thousand dollars to go to trial, right? Well, we get to the to the door of trial, and he's like, "Listen, this is—I mean, this is going to be a slam dunk. There's literally not one shred of of evidence that you've done anything. Like, this is going to get thrown out if you want to go to trial." But they're also offering, like, basically, I could write a permanent protection order. Like, I could tell him, "No, take this. I'm not signing it if this is in there." If, or you know, so what I did was I made kind of a in my mind it was a mutual protection order where it protected me as much as it protected her because I didn't want to deal with any more legal BS. Right. Huge mistake. 
Huge mm-hmm. mistake because I signed it. I agreed to it just to save five thousand dollars. Because right. I, as I told him, I don't care. I don't ever want to talk to her again. I'm not worried about. It. I'm going to like go talk to her, or text her, or call her. That'll never mm-hmm. happen with or without this piece of paper. Right. So, so that was resolved at that point. <laughs> that right. was resolved. Okay. And then what happened? And this is where the inter- intermingling of the domestic and criminal side and the absurdity of the criminal side of law blew my mind. Right. So we get into it. It's all about custody and and she weaponizing the children against me. That's that's been the last whatever, six years of my life. And so we get to a point where she's decided that I'm an alcoholic based on nothing. But she just decided that. And so she goes to her attorney and is trying to prove that I'm alcoholic. They're getting like Kroger plus receipts or I mean, all kinds of stuff. Like, what is he buying at the grocery store? And and she she subpoenaed Kinsale Country Club, which is, by the way, I live maybe 200 yards from Kinsale Country Club. And on and Kinsale Country Club had the audacity to send her every receipt of any time I was in the bar and grill or restaurant. On their own or under a subpoena? Well, under subpoena. Oh, okay, okay. But I mean, they could have sent statements. They didn't have to send receipts. Yeah. Or maybe they did. It doesn't matter. But on those receipts, <laughs> right, there's dinner where where I have a, uh, you know, a sandwich, the kids have a kid's mac and cheese, and I have two beers, right? Well, immediately it's this huge thing and well, I must be an alcoholic. I must be. I must be because I'll, oh, have, yeah. I'll have two beers. Well, and, there's a and, lot and of alcoholics. Okay, then we're in trouble. <laughs> so, so she gets has this emergency hearing, and, and you know because I'm an alcoholic, that's what it is about. And so I'm meeting with my attorney and the guardian, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like I rarely drink when I have the kids, and when I don't have them, I'll drink. And I'm I'm a grown man. I'm allowed to do that, and I'm allowed to have two beers with my kids. I'm also allowed to do that. And she, and so they 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 presented me with this thing called Soberlink. Like if you sign up for this this device and blow into it, and my attorney was like, if you do that for the next six months and you never have a drop of alcohol, it's going to look so bad on her for making these accusations. And then six months later, you have a, like twelve hundred tests and they're all zeros. It's going to blow it out of the water. And I was like, perfect, sign me up. I don't need to drink. I don't even like to drink that much. And so I signed up for it. Well, she took that as until that device arrives, I can't have the kids. No judge ever said that. That was never the case. And so for two weeks, she just didn't let me have the kids at all. So now I'm looking at, all right, I have to go back to court to get time with my kids when she's the one that's screwing up right now, right? She's the one that's violating this this order, according to the guardian, according to the judge, according to my attorney, everyone. So my attorney, we have joint custody at the time. My attorney says, well, this, this is stupid. You're going to spend X amount of dollars going back to court. You you have joint custody. Just go pick them after, up after school on your days, right? On Wednesday, go pick them up at school. They, this, they, you have every legal right to pick them up for school, for a doctor's appointment, early, anything, because you have joint custody, right? right. Shared custody. Right. So I call the school. It's like 2.30. I call them and say, hey, I'm just heads up. I'm going to pick up Cam and Quinn today instead of uh, them riding the bus. Just want to let you know. Okay, great. I go up to the school, walk into school. They're like, okay, just hang out over there. They'll be out soon. All of a sudden, the principal walks out. She says, uh, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not allowed to give you uh, your kids. And I was like, oh, you're absolutely required to give me my kids. And she said, well, we have your parenting plan and your parenting time doesn't start until six. And I was like, no, 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 no. Read the top paragraph there. It's called joint custody. If a parent, a guardian comes and pick up their kids from school, you have to release those children to me. So she, her and I get in this, it's very civilized. And this is three o'clock in the afternoon. So you're arguing, you're arguing over three hour window. Right. Well, here's what I didn't know. After I called the school, they called my ex-wife, which why would they do that? And she called the cops. No, no, no. She drove to the school. The school put her in the assistant principal's office. I don't know this at the time. I don't know she's there. Why would she, the kids ride the bus to her house. Why would she be there? 
So I go in the principal's office to discuss this further with her. And finally, I'm, you know, I've already talked to my domestic attorney. Like, I know I have a right to pick these kids up. So I asked her to call the police. I said, you know what? Just call the police. We'll see who leaves this school with those kids. She calls the police. They're coming up. At that point, she tells me, she was like, I don't know why you had to make this a scene. I mean, I, I get Courtney up here and you're, you're up here and just it's, and I was looked at her. I said, what do you mean? Courtney? And she said, well, I called Courtney after you called. I was like, why would you call her? Like, this has nothing to do with her. So the cop comes in. He asked me one question, and this is why I got found guilty. He said, do you know that Courtney's here right now? I said, yeah, she just told me. And he was like, stand up, put your hands behind your back. Like, what? My attorney tells me later, Brad tells me later, that because I I should have left the minute I knew she was there, right, the minute I was alerted. Mind you, the cops are on their way. Like, I don't think this is any reason why I should leave. The cops are going to be here. Like, she's not in danger. Right. So that happens. And and <clears throat> I could really go down the rabbit hole of the the criminal case and how we we had we had a case. We quote unquote won it seven to one. Eight jurors. We seven of them voted not guilty. The other one it was a hung jury. Right. Normally that doesn't get retried. Yeah. But. And- Unless you've got a prosecutor that's out to well, and well, here's, yeah, plus plus, and this is the other unfortunate issue in this is that uh, people think that celebrities often get the benefit of that. There are a lot of times it's exactly the opposite. Well, and let me tell they you, know who you were. This was a high profile oh, case. These everybody knew you, and and this could have been a, a, a an absolute feather and cap for a prosecutor couldn't get a real job. Well, that's what it was, and, and that's what happened. That's what happened. Now they had they they've never the county prosecutor came down. To Delaware and prosecuted the case, and in Brad, as Brad said, he's never heard of that happening. Usually, it's the assistant prosecutor. Oh, absolutely! Or no, he wanted to be. He wanted to be on TV. And, and guess and, what? And happened? That case was on TV. And guess right. what happened? After right. I lost, right. he became the county prosecutor at, or an upper, the Upper Arlington pro- prosecutor, Uh-oh. right, right in Brad's backyard. But that's, that's unbelievable. That's neither here nor there. That's that's unbelievable. Well, that, and that. and so here's here's where where I really got screwed up, right? So the whole thing was I, I had to be it had to be proven that I was being reckless. Like I recklessly went there and violated this protection order. That's what had to they had to prove. This judge, Marianne Hemeter's her name, she would not allow. I mean, she my attorney Brad tried to bring one little thing up and she went off. She said, "I don't want anything about their domestic case in my courtroom. It's too messy. None of it comes in this door." And I'm looking around like well, wouldn't that's, that wouldn't that be the whole that, f- the key the whole the case key. right the whole my, my whole case is the domestic case right so basically she looked at me and said you're not allowed to say anything about why you did what you did okay so none of the facts of the case were allowed in the courtroom because this judge who by the way when she sentenced me which is we could get into that she looked at me I, I got 180 days in jail for violating a protection order only violation I've ever had in my entire life. You don't have a criminal record under no, that? No criminal, no, nothing. That, that's, that's unheard of. Unheard that, of. No, no, that's unheard of. Unheard of. That's, and I spent 20 days in jail. That's unbelievable. It's, it's, that sentence is, un, I'm telling you. And do you know why? <laughs> do you know what she said? And it's, I, I should get the recording. She looked at me in sentencing and she said, I guess because of what you read on Google, because of what I tweet on Twitter, she looked at me and she said, here's the problem with guys like you and President Trump. You guys think you can say what you want and do what you want and get away with it. And I'm like, wait, the judge said that? The judge said that. On the record? On the record in sentencing. That guys like me and Trump. I'm sitting here like, what has Donald Trump got to do with this? He compared you to Donald Trump? Yes. Holy. Threw me in jail. No time to get my affairs in order. I mean, that moment. Cuff out the back door of the court. Wow. Wow. There's got to be a disciplinary complaint there against that judge. I mean, that judge can't. 
I mean, compare you, comparing you to Donald Trump? I don't know what you can and can't do because I saw some stuff that was unbelievable. Yeah. Well, that that that's incredible. So, Zach, you'd you'd mentioned this prosecutor. Uh, your attorney said that that he, the guy doesn't try a case. He came down and he tried this case. My guess is he he came down because uh, it was you, mm-hmm. and he knew that he was going to get his name in the paper. Mm-hmm. He he knew he was going to get some attention to it. Um, that did. Tell me about it. Do you know what he was doing? Uh, I, I don't. I guess you know. I'm not a. I'm not an expert in that field. But I. I do know this. He walked in, and I was shocked. He had like mud chop, pork chop, like uh, sideburns. His pants were four sizes too big. Like, and I'm sitting here like this is the lead prosecuting attorney for Delaware County, a Harvard grad, and we can't go to a tailor, spend twenty bucks, and get our pants to fit. Like what? What? It just the presentation was horrendous. And then I took the stand in my first trial. That's the biggest mistake I made. I didn't take the stand in my second trial because Brad told me not to, and that was a, a critical error because I was the I was our only defense. You could, we couldn't talk about our our, our domestic right. situation. So the only defense was me on stand, letting the jurors see I'm not a bad guy. Basically, right. I wouldn't do this. Right. So I took I took the stand the first time, and and he got up, and he it was like his Super Bowl, and he got absolutely destroyed. Um, I, I, I kicked his ass up and down that courtroom. He sat, he, he sat there and he was trying to get me riled up. Like I'm an idiot, like I'm dumb and I'm going to get riled up in a domestic like case right. like that, you right. know, like a criminal case, but about violating a protection order. So he, he would try to, he would, he would try to get me riled up and, and admit to things that didn't happen. And instead of getting mad at him for doing it, I would, I would just sit there and be like, Whoa, I understand what you're trying with the picture you're trying to paint, but I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. And he got so mad. And he, I can't remember what he said. He said something like, he he ca- he called me a name when I was and I and I stopped. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not going to sit up here and let you call me names. And I got him even more rattled. And it was awesome. What was what was your jury makeup? What was uh, this was in Delaware Delaware County? Okay, that's conservative yeah. county. Um, so it was it was pretty pretty even, male to female. I think it was four and four. Um, there was a, you know a couple minorities on there, and you know what? Who got me? So afterwards, you know, you pull the jury. Right. Like after a case, the your attorneys go pull the jury right. to see what happened in there. And what they found out was there was uh, pretty early on. I mean, it took forever the deliberation, which I thought was crazy. It's a pretty simple case. Like wasn't right. a lot to it. Um, it, it was, they started deliberating at like four and I think we got the verdict at like nine 30. Um, and so what happened well, was they struggled with it. They yeah, obviously well, struggled. One with person it. did. Yeah. It was an old white lady. The, the other seven, I guess, came to a pretty quick agreement that this is BS. And I, I didn't recklessly violate a CPO and the one lady just couldn't let it. And the other juror said they just couldn't, she just couldn't let go like that. He was this bad guy that beat his wife. Right. And I'm like, that, this is what's wrong with the system. Like that's. None of that has to do with this case. Like, if I beat her up a hundred times it wasn't, five years wasn't ago, that, relevant that, to it the, wasn't relevant to the case. Like, yeah. how is she allowed to hold up this yeah. case because she thinks that? Now, you and Brad, now, you guys made that decision not to take the stand together the second time, right? Well, kind of. Kind of. He, he made that decision. <laughs> he made that decision beforehand. And I told him I didn't want to do that. I want if I was going to go down, if I was going to be found guilty, I wanted it to be at my own sword, right? I wanted to fight for myself at least. And he said, okay, I agree. He was like, you did such a good job the first time. I agree. Well, in the 
the middle of the court case, right when they rest, he looked at me, he said, hey, I don't think you need to go up there. We already won. And I was like, what? And in, in the middle of it, I'm just like, oh, okay, yeah. well, whatever you think, I guess. And yeah. then I didn't go up and we lost. <laughs> so Zach, if you turn back the clock, what would you do differently? What would you tell people about this process that you would do differently if you had to do it all over again? Um, so I had two things I would do differently. One is what I do now, and I have, I have video cameras everywhere. My car has a video camera on it. My house does because I want to have evidence of what happened at all times in my life. Like I want to be on a reality TV show. So if I have to go to court for anything ever, I can bring videos and say, look, here's what happened. Everyone watch. That's one thing. The other thing I would do going all the way back to before I got divorced, it was my original plan. What I presented to my ex-wife and she agreed with and up until the final hour when one of her friends convinced her that I was trying to screw her over is I wanted to do, And what we did, we hired one attorney, just one guy to just mediate the two of us. So we both hire him. He represents both of us. He doesn't repre represent one side or the other. He's a true mediator. Yeah, he's, he's a true mediator. Right, right. And you sit down and you hash out every single detail, come up with something you agree on and just file it and move on. Right. And that's what we did. And um, we, her and I sat down, but without him and initially wrote a, wrote a plan, went to this attorney. This was her first attorney after this failed and said, here's what we want to do. We want to file this. Here's all the all the stipulations we want, and we want to file for divorce. And he said, okay. And then one of her friends got in her head that I was screwing her over financially or whatever. And so then she backed out of it. We didn't file it. We both had to hire attorneys. We went through divorce case, and she got less in every category. She got less money. She got less time. She got less everything. And I'm sitting here like, how dumb could you be? Like, this would have cost us a couple, maybe a thousand, two thousand bucks, as opposed to the 20 some thousand I've been in since the beginning, easily, maybe more. So unfortunately, I found that the, the, the winners in most of these cases, especially yours, are the lawyers. Yeah, oh yeah. It's the lawyers that are, that are winning. Always. So Zach, I, I want to talk to you for a second about social media, how bad social media is, because mm. you, you and I run in the same circles. I, I can't find anybody that will badmouth you. I mean, anybody that knows you says nothing but great things about you. They, they love you and said, man, this guy got railroaded and none of this crap is true. Every single thing has just been positive. And what what I've enjoyed watching is the success of your own podcast. Mm -hmm. And now you got like 5,000 people watching you on a video. And you've turned, you've really turned this thing around. And I love how you treat some of these people on social media because you'll tell them to go screw themselves. Absolutely. So tell me how that's affected things. And Well, you know, at first, it, it, you know, I, even, I learned it from Urban Meyer. He was like, he was like, people that say, I don't care, like, don't care what people think about you. Those those people are wrong. Like you should care about what your image is and what your reputation is. And I, so I, I do I I cared about that. But after a while, you get tired of trying to defend the truth that is who you are. And social media is the absolute worst. But the, but what happens is these it's like witch hunts, right? They people form this opinion. They don't they don't spend the time to find out if those opinions are valid or not. And then they'll just never change them. I mean, you look right now, this podcast that I built, and I, I originally started it just to talk, just, just as kind of a hobby. I didn't know what I was going to do next, but I still wanted to talk about sports. And so I didn't make any money the first year I was out of coaching, but my company made $225,000 in 2021, just a, on a podcast. Yeah. And I'm sitting here like, this should be Obviously, people like it. Like I don't, I'm not. Well, you've obviously merchandised it. You got a hell. Of, got, yeah. You got a hell of a hat on. Yeah, yeah. you know, I found yeah. ways to monetize it, just different yeah. ways, um, and give people different experiences with it, like subscription services and all, all kinds of yeah. stuff. And but but no one in in media will touch it or even acknowledge it. And and if I if I but you know what on the, the trajectory you're going now, they don't have to. You, exactly. You, you, you're going to end up making more money than them. No, so no. why but, why why do you need it? Yeah, I mean, you don't. And, and I, listen, I'm not going to have a big law firm. Uh, chase me like they used to either right, right. with this podcast. Right. So, right. you know, uh, 
But speaking your mind, it, uh, to me, this is very therapeutic. I hear that on your podcast. Well, now I'm seeing it on your podcast. Well, it's, but, fr- it's freedom, right? right? Freedom to be genuine, authentic, and you know, no holds bar. Like right. you could say whatever you want because you're not answering to anyone. Right. You're just all you're doing is trying to promote the truth and reality. Right. right. And ignore the trolls the best you can. I, I, I or, try, man. Or, or get a menace army to go after the trolls. <laughs> right. Now, that's another philosophy too. Yeah. Is is take them down with with Numbers. friends of yours because. You know, I mean, people that make those comments, I, you know, sometimes I look at their site and I'm going, geez, well, you, why, you, why am I caring about this dude? This guy's, this guy's a loser. Well, no doubt. Right? And, and it's this as far as this, right? Like my ex-wife has, has sent out the first page of our new, because we do have a new custody agreement, right? That just went into t- intact uh, the first of this past year, the first January 1st, 2021. She sent out the first page of it to all these trolls to post on on Twitter that because it it says that she is the the sole custodial parent because someone had to be named that we couldn't do jo- joint custody anymore, and I so she's oh, declaring victory. So she's I, a, I allowed yeah. her because she didn't want to go to court. I wanted to go to court, so I basically told her what I wanted to stay out of court, and and I allowed her to be the sole custodial parent because the guardian told me because I got convicted of violating a protection order, the judge was probably going to do that anyways, Give make her the right. sole custodial parent. But in order to do that, I wanted the kids over half the time. So I doubled my parenting time with the kids. So I have them more than her. And she sends out the this page to all these trolls, and they post it all over Twitter. Like, he lost custody of his kids. He doesn't even see his kids, doesn't pay child support, support deadbeat dad. Yeah. And I, the only thing I respond is, like, post the next page. Yeah. Well, post the next one. You you think about them when you're making that bank deposit. Yeah, that's it. Right? That's it. To hell no with doubt. them. To hell with them. No doubt. Uh, Zach, I can't thank you enough for coming down here. Um, I really appreciate you telling the story. You know, hopefully, uh, people will listen to this and and learn what we're trying to trying to preach here. Is you don't need a lawyer for everything that you're trying to accomplish. And and uh, it sounds like it'd been much simpler if that mediator could have had some success and got this thing resolved. Well, it definitely would have been a lot easier. But I appreciate you having me down. Now let's go to our Asshole of the Week segment. The first Asshole of the Week involves Bob Saget. Right? And everybody knows Bob Saget, the great comedian. I mean, anything you read about this guy, um, I mean, not a negative comment, just a great human being. So this past week, his family had to sue to protect the release of his autopsy photos. You tell me what lawyer with an ounce of integrity would represent a news outlet trying to get these photos? I mean, is there really a public interest in some weirdos looking at autopsy photos? Where's the sense of morality from these lawyers in defending a company that would want to just totally invade this man's dignity, the family's privacy, to share gross photos with the world? You defense counsel in the Bob Saget litigation are assholes. Our second asshole of the week is the city prosecutor in Auburn, Alabama. There's a guy named Winston Higgins who was arrested and his case is actually going to trial because this prosecutor decided to pursue criminal trespassing charges when this guy placed a planter box with flowers on his fiance's gravesite. The woman was killed in an accident last year. Apparently, her father didn't approve of this relationship, and he actually filed charges under an obscure statute regarding littering. Littering. Now listen, the cops that took this criminal report also fall in the dumbass category as well because they had a chance to dissuade the father from filing these unnecessary criminal charges. My detective friend told me that they would have spent two hours talking to this guy out of doing something this silly. But no, the charges were filed, have not been dismissed. In fact, this case is still pending and scheduled for trial. This makes this prosecutor in Auburn, Alabama, an asshole. 
Now we're going to conclude today's show with Brett's rant. So how do we keep Zach Smith from going through what he's gone through the last four years of his life? And it starts with a complete reform of our domestic relations court. And I've said this since the day I practiced, which was there's so much emotion in these cases that you don't start with lawyers. You start with a mediator. You start with a civil mediator, and you keep as much as you can the angst, the anger, the vitriol out of the process. And unfortunately, there are so many lawyers that practice in this field that exacerbate the situation by whether they get into a personal issue with the opposing counsel. But again, they're motivated by not resolution, but by continuing to bill. And if we have a process where a mediator says, here's what I think's fair, here's what you're probably going to end up with if you go to war on this thing, I think you've got a much better chance. I know we have a much better chance of resolution at this early stage and not getting lawyers to inflame the entire situation. So that's the rant of the day. I'm your host, Brett Adams, and we will be back soon with another episode of Lawyers Are Assholes.